You are listening to Catholic Family Podcast. Greetings, fellow travelers through the liturgical year. This is Lisa Davis with another Feast Day Quick Take on December 28th, the Feast of the Holy Innocents, also called Childermas or Innocence Day. St. Eusebius was a bishop of Caesarea who lived through the reigns of both Diocletian and Constantine through the late 3rd century and into the mid-4th century. The first to compile all the Christian writings up to his own day, he is universally respected as the author of Christian history. He was a friend of Emperor Constantine, with access to all the libraries under the auspices of the Roman Empire, and St. Isidore of Seville, the first Western encyclopedist, drew heavily from his sources. When you hear the words, according to Eusebius, you know you're getting the real deal. So, to flesh out the history of the Holy Innocents and provide context to the bittersweet tragedy of the infant martyrs, I give you Church History Book 1, according to Eusebius. Quote, when Christ was born according to the prophecies in Bethlehem of Judea, at the time indicated, Herod was not a little disturbed by the enquiry of the Magi who came from the east, asking where the king of the Jews was to be found. For they had seen his star, and this was their reason for taking so long a journey, for they earnestly desired to worship the infant as God. For Herod imagined that his kingdom might be endangered, and he inquired therefore of the doctors of the law who belonged to the Jewish nation where they expected Christ to be born. When he learned that the prophecy of Micah announced that Bethlehem was to be his birthplace, he commanded in a single edict all the male infants in Bethlehem and all of its borders that were two years of age or less, according to the time which he had accurately ascertained from the Magi, to be slain, supposing that Jesus would share the same fate as the others of his own age. But the child anticipated the snare, being carried into Egypt by his parents, who had learned from an angel that appeared unto them what was about to happen. These things are recorded by the Holy Scripture in the Gospel, Matthew 2. And so St. Eusebius continues, quote, It is worthwhile, in addition to this, to observe the reward which Herod received for his daring crime against Christ and those of the same age. For immediately, without the least delay, the divine vengeance overtook him while he was still alive and gave him a foretaste of what he was to receive after death. It is not possible to relate here how he tarnished the supposed felicity of his reign by successive calamities in his family, by the murder of wife and children and others of his nearest relatives and dearest friends, how immediately after his crime against our Savior and the other infants, the punishment sent by God drove him on to his death. We can best learn from the words of that historian Josephus, who in the seventeenth book of his Antiquities of the Jews, writes as follows concerning his end. Quote, but the disease of Herod grew more severe, God inflicting punishment for his crimes, for a slow fire burned in him which was not so apparent to those who touched him, but augmented his internal distress, for he had a terrible desire for food which it was not possible to resist. He was affected also with ulceration of the intestines, and with especially severe pains in the colon, while a watery and transparent humor settled about his feet. He suffered also from similar trouble in his abdomen. 
Nay more, his privy member was putrefied and produced worms. He found also excessive difficulty in breathing, and it was particularly disagreeable because of the offensiveness of the odor and the rapidity of respiration. He had convulsions in every limb, which gave him uncontrollable strength. It was said indeed by those who possessed the power of divination and wisdom to explain such events, that God had inflicted this punishment upon the king on account of his great impiety. He planned to commit an impious deed, as if challenging death itself. For collecting from every town the most illustrious men of all Judea, he commanded that they be shut up in the so-called Hippodrome. And having summoned Salome, his sister, and her husband Alexander, he said, I know that the Jews will rejoice at my death, but I may be lamented by others and have a splendid funeral if you are willing to perform my commands. When I shall expire, surround these men who are now under guard as quickly as possible with soldiers, and slay them, in order that all Judea and every house may weep for me, even against their will. And Josepha says in the same book that Herod slew another of his own sons before his death, the third one slain at his command, and that immediately afterward he breathed his last, not without excessive pain. Macrobius, a pagan of the early 5th century, wrote, On hearing that the son of Herod, king of the Jews, had been slain when Herod ordered that all boys in Syria under the age of two be killed, Caesar Augustus said, it's better to be Herod's pig than his son. Eusebius concludes in his history, Such was the end of Herod, who suffered a just punishment for his slaughter of the children of Bethlehem, which was the result of his plot against our Savior. Abbot Garanger pays these children of Bethlehem the highest tribute. Quote, they died for Jesus' sake. Therefore their death was a real martyrdom, and the church calls them by the beautiful name of the flowers of the martyrs, because of their tender age and their innocence. Justly, then, does the ecclesiastical cycle bring them before us today, immediately after the two valiant champions of Christ, Stephen and John. The connection in these three feasts is thus admirably explained by St. Bernard, quote, in St. Stephen we have both the act and the desire of martyrdom. In St. John we have but the desire. In the Holy Innocents we have but the act. Will anyone doubt whether a crown be given to these innocents? If you ask me what merit could they have that God should crown them, let me ask you what was the fault for which Herod slew them. What is the mercy of Jesus less than the cruelty of Herod? And whilst Herod could put these babes to death, who had done him no injury, Jesus may not crown them for dying for him? End quote. The church sets aside the white of joy which decorates the altar throughout the rest of the octave of the nativity and replaces it on this one day with a purple that expresses the poignant grief of the innocent mothers. There is no gloria or alleluia unless the feast falls on a Sunday. The church is wreathed in a bitter sweetness remembering the divine infant on the feast of the holy innocents who died in his place. The stational church of this feast day is at St. Paul's Without the Walls, which possesses several of the bodies of the Holy Innocents. In a sweetness typical of Holy Mother Church, Pope Sixtus V translated a portion of these relics to the Church of St. Mary Major for the express purpose of locating them near the holy relic of our Lord's crib. That's the end of the quote from Abbot Garanger. Interesting to note regarding the Holy Innocents, and I don't know about you, but I always assumed they numbered in the hundreds at least. 
In the Greek tradition, 14,000 young boys were murdered, and the number has gone even higher. An early Syrian history of the saint asserts 64,000 murders, and Coptic sources list 144,000. Remember, though, that Bethlehem was a small town, definitely swollen in occupants due to the census, but that the boys under two years of age numbered in the thousands has long been considered unrealistic. The 1907 Catholic Encyclopedia recognizes this, acknowledges the exaggeration through the centuries, and approximates the more likely number of victims to be between six and twenty children in the town itself, with a dozen or more in surrounding areas. There were then fewer than fifty, but each child was precious to his family. They could not have known as we do that their sons would achieve the greatest glory as some of the first to receive crowns of martyrdom. They live today in sublime happiness in heaven and in the memories and gratitude of all who love Christ and are an integral part of the whole picture of the salvation of mankind. Their feast being so close to the Feast of the Nativity, which has always been equated with the joys of childhood, you have to know the connection of the Holy Innocence with children was inevitable, and that it would take some rather interesting forms throughout history. In the Middle Ages, when the feast was often referred to as Childermas, December 28th provided children, especially in Northern Europe, where the custom was prominent, a chance at role reversal. Some certain select of the children were allowed on this day to take the seat as teacher in their schools, or even to take on some of the minor roles in the church where they had a chance to be what they called the boy bishop for a day. There was also a medieval custom in many places of reserving the day on which children fell as the second day off of work besides the Lord's Day. So since this year, the feast falls on a Wednesday, instead of our modern convention of taking Saturday and Sundays off, folks in the Middle Ages wouldn't have to get up to go to work in the castle or the cobbler shop, or the bakery, or whatever, on Sundays and Wednesdays, until the second day changed on the following Childermas. This is an example of the beauty of living in an age when every little thing referred back to the faith. Catholics would be reminded of holy innocence on their day off every week. Alternatively, as often happens, this feast day gave rise to some traditions that have little to do with a liturgical feast, but have a lot to do with an innocent sense of fun that perhaps the Holy Innocents would have appreciated had they lived a boyhood. In Spain, Hispanic America, and the Philippines, December 28th is known for its pranks, similar to how we celebrate April Fool's Day in America. And in some regions of Spain, the day is celebrated with a flower fight, Yes, you heard that right. The children dress up in as authentic military dresses they can devise and pelt one another with bombs or buckets filled with flour. Can you imagine this, mothers? All in good fun, I guess, so long as it's outdoors, right? In Trinidad and Tobago, it's the tradition for the children to have their toys blessed on this day, a lovely way of sprinkling the faith on the everyday, because play, of course, is important work. I suspect the prayers of the Holy Innocents flutter down like snowflakes covering everything, but especially on our little ones on this feast day. As tragic and unthinkable as their deaths were, the little boys of Bethlehem have reached the happy ending that the rest of us are still praying for. The Holy Innocents by Maria Rossetti They scarcely waked before they slept, they scarcely wept before they laughed, they drank indeed death's bitter draught, 
but all its bitterest dregs were kept and drained by mothers while they wept. Weep not, they say, our mothers dear, for swords nor sorrows come not here. Now we are strong, who were so weak, and all is ours we could not seek. From heaven the speechless infants speak. We bloom among the blooming flowers. We sing among the singing birds. Wisdom we have who wanted words. Here morning knows not evening hours. All's rainbow here without the showers. And softer than our mother's breast, and closer than our mother's arms, is here the love that keeps us warm and broods above our happy nest. Dear mothers, come, for heaven is best. Pray for us, little holy innocents. Blessed be God in his angels and in his saints.